0: Office buildings have hit a low point. They were in a transitional phase before the pandemic even started, as seen by the rise of co-working spaces and high vacancy rates. But the whole work-from-home phenomenon has just brought offices into an existential crisis. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, I spoke to Stephen Painter, a principal at Gensler in Toronto, which is the largest architectural and interior design firm in the world. During the pandemic, the city of Calgary which has a notorious sure of office space, hired Gensler to study whether it was practical to convert empty office buildings into residential units. Painter told me that pretty much every city in North America has had a 5 to 8% increase in vacancy rates over the last six months, which he said is huge. When you think about what's happening to the office, you have to remember that email, smartphones, and other technology have made it possible to work from anywhere, but they've also blurred the boundaries between work and home. Painter had a lot to say about this and how his clients, think big companies, large office tower owners, hope to keep the office alive. As always, the interview is edited for clarity and brevity. So Stephen, thanks so much for joining me today on Down to Business.
1: Thanks for inviting me. It's good to be here.
0: Since this pandemic started, one of the big questions is what's going to happen to office space It's not that every office building is completely and totally empty today, but some are still very close to empty. How do you explain what has happened to office buildings?
1: So what we've really seen is an acceleration of a trend that was happening even before the pandemic, which was that Class A and Trophy Class buildings, the really kind of exciting new product on the market, is doing very well. But in contrast to that, the Class C buildings that are 50-, 60-year-old buildings are struggling. And they were struggling pre-pandemic. They're struggling even more now. So when you look at vacancy rates for cities, you'll see you know, 15 to 20% vacancy in a lot of cities. Well, so that's actually really skewed between much lower vacancy in high-quality buildings and much higher vacancy in the Class C buildings.
0: So what makes an office building undesirable?
1: There's two things that we found tenants are really looking for at the moment. The first is high-quality space, so good access to amenities, lots of light, good ceiling heights, that kind of thing. The other thing is really location. What we've found is that buildings located on primary transit routes, so ones that are easy to get to, are being quite successful as well. Even a few blocks away from primary transit or primary amenities like you know food and, and retail, they're really struggling. Huh. So it can be you know, as niche as two blocks further north and you're, and you're in trouble.
0: so transportation is really kind of the driver.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you think of people working at home over the last two years, they've not had to commute anywhere. So suddenly having to reintroduce that commute, what we're finding is that tenants are trying to make that as easy as possible for their employees. So are we right on a subway line, for example? Those buildings are doing well, but short distance from that, they're really struggling with occupancy and, and leasing.
0: That's fascinating. Like, I assume this hasn't always been the case, or else people would never have built some of these buildings. What do you attribute this trend to?
1: A lot of it is to do with choice in the market. A couple of years ago, vacancy in Toronto was 2%, sometimes slightly less. So, tenants didn't really have the choice to go for higher quality or better located buildings. Since the vacancy has crept up, and, you know, 10, 12%, and in other cities around Canada, it's higher, all of a sudden they have a lot of choice. Prime locations or prime buildings sometimes they're taking a little bit less space and paying more per square foot but they're really looking for quality and it's that quality that's bringing their employees back to work rather than staying at home
0: let me go back for a second to like what's happening to cities what's happening to office towers i've seen statistics that say well it's actually like a really small percentage like 15 to 35% of people work from home so you know the large majority have still been going to work is it true that across north america downtowns have become ghost towns or is that a bit of an exaggeration
1: no i don't really think it's an exaggeration the numbers that you quoted there are probably people working permanently from home but there's a lot of people working two three days a week in the office and that obviously has a huge impact if you look at toronto's downtown it's pretty much a ghost town on a friday because people will work tuesday to thursday in the office so you were seeing that kind of swing Pretty much every city in North America has had a 5 to 8% vacancy rate increase over the last uh, six months. And that's a huge difference. You know, that's thousands and thousands of people. Also has a huge knock-on effect on the viability of those office buildings as well from a landlord point of view.
0: What, so what are some of the knock-on effects? I mean, I would imagine it would affect retail. It would affect cities' ability to collect tax revenue.
1: Absolutely. And that's actually what started this study was uh, partnering with the City of Calgary to talk about those knock-on effects. Obviously, as the building empties and there is more vacancy, the landlord will lose rent. But quite importantly, the City of Calgary had lost a significant amount of tax revenue from the empty buildings downtown. They were starting to see security issues because there weren't people around. And obviously, the, the ground floor retail would start to struggle as well. And so what we really wanted to do with them was Take some of the office buildings out of the market, uh, convert them to residential, and that would increase the the downtown population. It also makes the remaining office buildings more viable because it's uh, driving up demand as well. So the funding they put in place, which equates to about $75 a square foot for conversions, is actually going to be offset in the long term by the increase in tax revenue uh, and the increase in population of having people back in the downtown and creating more of a mixed use, more vibrant downtown community.
0: So Calgary's Economic Development Corporation hired Gensler to study whether or not some of these empty office buildings could be converted into residential. I mean, can you tell me how you did the study and what you found?
1: Yeah, so what we're trying to do was prove whether or not this was a viable idea. So if we take all of the empty office buildings, or all of the office buildings in Calgary, and look at them for viability of conversion, you know, do they have the right floor plate sizes? Do they have the right or window depths? Uh, could we replace the facades, for example, to make really good quality residential? So if we studied the whole of the downtown and we could identify how many buildings would be viable, we could then go to them and say, you know, we think that you can take 10%, 15% of the downtown office and convert them over. And also then working with local developers to figure out what kind of tax incentive, what kind of grants would be required to make that a reality. So developed an algorithm internally that could study office floor plates for viability of conversion. And then they managed to get that grant program in place within about six months of the start of the study.
0: Right. So they've got this grant program that allows property owners to convert office buildings. And I think you studied about three dozen and about 30 percent or so were good candidates for conversion. That seems low to a lot of people. Like you mentioned floor plates. What is a floor plate? Why is this difficult?
1: Well, it's not difficult if you have the right building. And that was the key to the study we did with Calgary, and we've now been doing for other developers and cities around North America. The floor plate is is really important. If you think of an office building, they're generally quite large, uh, quite wide floor plates. And you compare that to a residential building, which is generally smaller, tighter kind of floor areas. Now, if you convert the wrong kind of office building, you might end up with units that are 10 feet wide and 60 feet deep because of the depth from the glazing to the corridors. By contrast, if you can find the right types of buildings or the right floor plate design, you'll end up with units that are 25 feet wide and, and 20 feet deep and going to be much more desirable. So it's one of the first things to look at really is can you take that floor plate and efficiently create units that people would want to live in versus you know, just what fits on the plan. So that's a you know, vital study. Step one is figure out if people want to live there. Step two is, is work out if you could create desirable units. And that's where that 30% number comes in. And it's actually quite high in Calgary. 30% is good compared to the other cities we've studied. You, know, you need to find the diamonds, the ones that are going to be easy to convert, be efficient as well.
0: And it's going to be this sort of two birds with one stone situation.
1: It's really a, a win-win for downtowns because you can take a primarily office neighborhood, which is not something that cities really build anymore and convert it into a mixed-use neighborhood that's got 24-7 life. It's going to be much more sustainable for commuting, much more sustainable for the retail and the uh, people who live there as well.
0: Now we're going to pause a minute for a short break. When you say that you know, these office spaces are not something cities really build anymore, what's the historical context for that?
1: Well, if you you know think back to the 60s and 70s when a lot of these currently Class C buildings went up, there was really a commuting culture. And even when I came to Toronto 10 years ago, there's a lot of parking lots downtown, and people would come in, park, and go to work. What cities are now doing, and you know a lot of uh, cities around Canada have, have led the way in this, actually globally, is creating a mix of uses. So they'll demand residential, retail, and office all around the same transit node. So if we can group all of those together, then we can create something that's very walkable and very livable as well. But That wasn't the case back in the 60s and 70s when a lot of our central business districts were built. And that kind of uh, guard your commuter type approach was very prevalent. And that's put a lot of strain on our downtown infrastructures. So being able to move to a more mixed use, more walkable type of neighborhood is, is obviously very desirable for a lot of major cities really being able to reposition parts of our downtown to create that vibrant mix of use is is what we're seeing people doing. It is a long-term trend. Uh, We started looking at this right at the beginning of the pandemic, partnered with cities and, and developers to do that. But in the last six months, even people have become a lot more excited about it. As the office buildings have started to suffer more, some of them have started to foreclose, then all of a sudden the interest has peaked. And we see that as a five to ten year window when these buildings are going to start being converted uh, and start actually coming into occupation.
0: OK, if office vacancies are up and foreclosures on some office towers increase, then momentum towards converting offices into residential units gather speed. At the same time, I know there's a real push by companies to lure employees back to the office, maybe with free services like therapy or massages or, or free food. But surely many companies won't be able to afford this or, or won't want to pay those extra expenses.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. It actually leads into another trend that we're seeing, which is real ramp up in the amenitization of the buildings by the landlords. So for example, if your building has a lot of smaller tenants that really couldn't afford or wouldn't have the space to create high quality conferencing or high quality amenities for their team, then the landlords are starting to provide that. And we saw that actually in Calgary, which obviously saw a downturn before most of Canada. And they really put in more amenity space for everyone in the building. So not everyone has to have it in their office, but they do have to have it in close proximity uh, to encourage people in. So we're actually doing projects right now that include adding amenity, adding some co-working, adding some fitness areas, adding wellness as a whole building approach. Uh
0: How is this affecting the cost of office space?
1: It's a good question. I think that is playing out at the moment. Some spaces are getting cheaper. Other tenants are actually taking less space for themselves, but paying more per square foot for it because they want higher quality space. I don't think we've, we've kind of seen the end of that cycle yet. It's probably only just beginning. But what we are seeing, and you know, New York has led the way in this actually, is tenants taking less square footage, but paying about the same rent or even paying slightly more rent for it because they want to get the kind of quality of space that's going to encourage people to come in.
0: You mentioned co-working spaces. How do they tie into what's happening with offices more broadly?
1: Co-working really has two functions, either for small businesses that wouldn't normally take be able to take downtown space, or for larger companies that need swing space uh, because they're either growing very quickly or because they see large increases and decreases of, of staff. So it has served that function. Where we're seeing co-work go at the moment is actually to be part of a kind of office building ecosystem. So tenants in the building would be able to use some of those spaces. People in the local neighborhood, you know, if we're having a mixed-use neighborhood with residential, The residents there would also be able to use some of that co-working. So rather than being a a solution or a large impact on the office market, we're actually seeing it more now as an amenity space that you can come and use as needed and that people will actually see as part of or an extension of the space that they rent generally.
0: You know, there's been so much sort of written and thought. People were talking about the great resignation. Now they're talking about quiet quitting, all of which is sort of a way to talk about what's happening in offices I look around and I've noticed that some companies like Goldman Sachs said everyone back to the office. You know, like when I think of Goldman Sachs, I don't think of people working there because they want work-life balance. Other companies have said hybrid. Others are still completely remote. I I wondered on some level if going into the office is going to be a status symbol on some level.
1: Yeah, that's something that everyone is struggling with at the moment. Where do you want that balance? How do you want to make your employees happy and, and productive as well? Um, so I don't think hybrid is going to go away. Um, from what we've seen in terms of requirement for in-person collaboration and innovation, I also don't think that purely working from home is the answer for most businesses. You know, For some back-of-house services, absolutely. But for most businesses, they need a culture and they need collaboration and innovation to be successful. So there will absolutely be some continuation of hybrid. And I think you're right, people will start seeing coming into the office as a way to get noticed, as a way to be promoted, uh, and also as a way to show off the services that you have, not only to their employees, but also to potential clients or uh, partners as well.
0: Yeah, I looked at some of these issues of hybrid, like with the advent of smartphones, it kind of blurred the boundary between work and home, right? Like people could email you at any time of night. And now you were talking about like co-working spaces that could actually be shared by sort of residential units in a building. It seems like another sort of blurring of that boundary. Is that a trend defining office area, residential areas, towers in general?
1: It's, that's a real kind of crystal ball uh, type yeah, question. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, the proximity of residential and office and the ease of commuting is certainly something that people are, are looking for so that they can have ease in their life, but also a clear separation between when they're at work and, and when they're not. That desire for flexibility and the desire to work from home is in a lot of cases also being balanced by people burning out, people who don't, aren't able to get that separation and therefore feel like they're working 24-7 or like their their work is invading their home life. So I, I think what will end up happening, if I had to look into the crystal ball, is over the, the next two years, we'll actually see a balance start to emerge where you know, people are comfortable with a certain split of work and home. We started all at work, we went all at home, and now we're trying to find that median of, okay, this is where everyone actually is, is comfortable. And it's certainly not in either of the two extremes that we've experienced uh, before.
0: It's a fascinating topic. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Stephen.
1: No problem. Good to speak to you.
0: That was Stephen Painter, a principal at the architectural and interior design firm Gensler in Toronto. Thank you for listening to Down to Business, and thanks to the team behind this episode. The original music you heard was composed and performed by Bryce Hall, who also designed our logo and produced this show. Pamela Heaven, Noella Ovid, and Victoria Wells provided web support and editing. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll return with another episode of Down to Business next week. But until then, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com.